Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. We welcome you to Grace Crossing Church this morning. We are thankful to have you here for week number three of our series, It's Personal. Um, we see a lot of our regulars that are here this morning. Uh, we also want to welcome those that maybe you just started attending like right around the holidays. You came to Grace Crossing Church and you've been attending ever since. Or maybe you're here as a fulfillment of a New Year's resolution. Well done. You're into your fourth week and you're at church. And uh, congratulations on sticking with that resolution. Or perhaps it's your first week here and uh, you're just with us for the very first time. We, we want to welcome all those who are newcomers to Grace Crossing Church. Would you join me uh, by an expression of, of applause and let's welcome all those that are new to Grace Crossing Church. Well, before we move forward, uh, we want to just hit the pause button and we want to move backward here for just a moment. And we want to rewind the clock here and we want to just talk for a few moments about where we've come so far uh, in this New Year series that we're in here in January on our vision, mission, and values. And so we've talked so far about the reality that God envisioned something when He created all of us. And it's really important we understand that before we were ever formed by God, God had a vision for our lives. God envisioned that we would become His children. Now, everyone is a creation of God, but not everyone becomes a child of God. But what God desires for all of us is that we move into a relationship with Him, that just as we are biologically born into a physical family, that we become born into God's spiritual family by a decision of of entrusting our lives to Him. And God wants all of us to move beyond just calling Him and referring to Him as God to referring to Him as our Father, and we as His sons and His daughters. So God envisions that we would become His children. Secondly, God envisioned that we would be transformed in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. When you become a child in God's family, you don't get to choose what you look like. God already chose what His children would look like. God already said, here is the model, here is the example, my Son who's coming to give you an example of what a child of God will look like. But watch this. We also don't get to choose in God's family what children we like and what children we don't like. They are our brothers and sisters, whether or not we chose them. I didn't choose my two brothers and my two sisters. They are who they are, and they're very different from me, but they are my family. And and the reality is when you become part of God's family, that is exactly what happens, which is the third thing that God envisioned for all of us, that we would belong and, and, and be a part of His family, the church. Now, there are churches today that will tell you that the very first thing you've got to do is believe like they believe, and then you've got to behave like they would want you to behave, and then you can belong. Well, Jesus came and He reversed that. He came and said, listen, I want you to know God loves you. God wants relationship with you. God's going to jump over all sorts of hurdles and even taboo social issues to get to you. And when he does that, God wants you to know you belong to him. He loves you. He wants relationship with you. And that should then begin to transform the way we believe and ultimately the way that we behave. But it all starts with God's envisioning that he wants us to belong. 
And the final thing that God envisioned is that we would buy in fully to His vision and His mission for our lives here on this earth. And what is that vision? What is the mission that God has? Well, it can be summarized uh, in one verse of Scripture that really has informed our vision here at Grace Crossing Church. Micah chapter 6, verse number 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Listen, if you had no other verse of Scripture, and there was no other thing that you knew about how to live a God-honoring life, if we would do this, we would live a life that would be incredibly honorable to God. God would be pleased if we would do what is good and what it is He requires of us. So when we talk about vision, here's what I want you to think. Vision is a mental image of what could be inspired by the conviction that it should be. When we talk about vision, we're talking about a mental image of what could be inspired by a conviction that it should be. And so here at Grace Crossing Church, this is our collective vision as a leadership team. We see an emotionally healthy church filled with fully surrendered Christ followers whose hearts are set ablaze to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Act justly. The reality is whenever there is injustice, it actually calls for the justice of God to bring to bear on that injustice. It is not an accident. It is not a coincidence that the very first book that follows the four Gospels is simply called Acts. It's what God had in mind. That we would actually become the embodiment of what God envisioned for our lives, which he modeled for us in Jesus. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, really is, a, is, is, is just a, a snapshot of the gospel message. And when you see and watch the life of Jesus, his entire life can be really summarized in those three things, acting justly, loving mercy, walking humbly. But God expects us to act. God wants us to act justly. God, secondly, wants us to love mercy. It means we don't get to choose who deserves God's mercy. You know, it's really an incredible thought, isn't it? That while we were still sinners, while God was not even on our radar, Jesus died for us. Who does that? Who gives their life for somebody that has no consideration for who God is, that's not even worried about trying to think about pleasing Him? And how is it that someone would come and give his life that unselfishly? Well, it's mercy that drove him to do it. It's compassion. It's compassion that looks mercifully upon individuals who may not be people that we believe deserve it, but God says everyone deserves to receive mercy, and we're called to love it. We're called to learn to love it just the way God loves it. Whenever mercy is extended, it brings God's heart alive. And finally, we're called to walk humbly. Now, I shared last weekend that this idea in the Old Testament of walking humbly is the image and the word picture of an eagle with its wings folded in front of it. 
i.e., I am no longer trusting in my power and my strength to move me forward. I'm no longer dependent upon what I can do. I'm now becoming more dependent on God. And all of these things are all part of what we envision for Grace Crossing Church. Jesus came, and in John's Gospel, chapter 17, he prays a prayer. It's actually going to become what is known as the high priestly prayer. He's praying it on behalf of the world. And it will be the final real prayer that we're going to hear him pray for us. In John 17, he says, In the same way that you gave me a mission, God, in the same way you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in this world. He left, but he gave us a mission. And that mission is not ours to decide, it's his to decide. We are called to remain mission critical. And here's how we frame our mission here at Grace Crossing Church, which is really the mission of Jesus. We exist to disciple, to mobilize, and to empower those whose hearts aspire to follow Jesus. If you are in this auditorium today, and your big ambition in life, your aspiration in life, is to follow Christ, You may not know what all that means. You may not understand where that begins and how you're going to do it. But if in your heart you're saying, listen, I aspire. My heart is I want to be like Christ. I want to live a life that's honorable to God by living like Jesus. And we're here as Grace Crossing Church. And you're the people that we exist for. That we're here to help come alongside you and to do what the Bible says we're called to do. To go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things God has commanded, and he's with us to the end. Now, before Jesus departed, he made one final promise to us. And this week, if you've been joining us in prayer, we've been praying into this promise. Because this is the promise that Jesus left in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you here's what jesus said i'm leaving and it's for your best interest i'm leaving i've been here to fulfill my mission i'm going to accomplish it and then listen i'm going but i'm not leaving you alone i'm sending the holy spirit who's going to come and be in you and live through you and be working in through your life and it says you'll be my witnesses when you hear the word witnesses think of the word ambassador or emissary, or spokesperson. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now listen, this was a bold mission that Jesus gives them. All they had ever known was a small radius perhaps the width of about 30 miles that they had had functioned in. But beyond that, they really didn't know a whole lot more about the world beyond their specific world and that was the the world they lived in it was jerusalem and judea but beyond that they didn't venture out very much further than that especially to places like samaria and don't even think about the ends of the earth and yet jesus is is getting ready to ascend and he says listen you're going to do something that even i didn't do i'm empowering you to be my witnesses everywhere. And so the question this morning and the question we're praying into is what is our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and our ends of the earth? 
Well, I think as we contextualize it, there's no doubt our Jerusalem is our 45434, our community, and that touch that we have in an immediate radius of 1553 Beaver Valley Road. God has put us here as a body to have a touch and to have a reach. Many of you are here in this church today because somebody told you about Grace Crossing Church. Somebody had a good experience and said, listen, I've gone to this church or, hey, I've checked this church out. Or maybe you just Google search and you found Grace Crossing and you had a positive experience on our website. Whatever the reason, you are here today because of influence. Somebody influenced you to come. And you're our Jerusalem. But God says, don't stop there. I've called you to go to Judea. Judea for us would be Greene County. These are, these are places and people that may not be coming here to this location, but God may be calling us to go to. And God may be calling us to partner with organizations here in our community. In fact, you can find out some of those organizations by going to our website and just looking at local, local missions partnerships. Organizations we commend to you that we believe are reaching in our community, doing something of value and significance. It means having a wider reach of influence into people who may not come here, but God may ask us to go to them. And we believe this will involve, at some point, the planting of another church, a grace-crossing expression, another campus somewhere in a community not here that God will ask us to reach into and touch. And what of Samaria? Well, this is remarkable because their ears must have perked up when Jesus said this. Because Samaria was a place that the Jews didn't even step foot in. They wouldn't go there. And the reason they wouldn't go to Samaria is they considered Samaritans unclean people. They were not committed to the Orthodox Jewish faith. They intermarried. There were all sorts of things that they felt The Jewish people who were Orthodox Jews felt like they simply were unclean. And yet, what what does Jesus do when he comes? He goes right into Samaria. He does ministry right in the heart of Samaria. And he brings the good news of his love and peace right to people who the Jews said, we don't want to have any part of. So what's our Samaria? These are the people God is asking us to reach that we may avoid because of fear or prejudice. But God says... I want you to go, and I want you to be an expression of my friendship and my love and my grace. There are places in Dayton, Ohio, that some of us won't travel through because we think it's an unsafe place. The reality is God wants us to go into Samaria and go to Samaritans, people who don't look like us, people who are unlike us in many ways, but people that God calls us to. And then the ends of the earth. That's beyond the borders. It's beyond the borders of Ohio. It's beyond the borders of the United States of America. Truth is, we, are, we, we may build a big wall on the southern border of this country, but there is no wall that will ever keep God's people from going and God's people from feeling that sending call by God. And the reality is we are called to go to the ends of the earth and tell people everywhere about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our vision. That's our mission. But what of our values? Well, I want you to think of vision another way. I want you to think of vision as the destination that you put in your navigation system. 
as the pin that you drop in the GPS when you're pulling up a guide, a map, and you're going, I want to go there, and you put down the pin and you drop it. That's the vision. It's what you see, it's where you're headed, it's the destination. Think of the mission as the map when you hit give me directions that's going to help you make those steps toward the vision. It's what you're going to do day in and day out and be committed until you see the vision fulfilled. Now, what are the values then? The value is that still small voice that speaks to us in the GPS that sometimes tells us we have gotten off of the path that we're to be on. Every so often, you know, when you're, when you're driving and your GPS is on and you exit off somewhere to grab a bite to eat or you take a little detour, the GPS will continue to remind you, drive to the route. Drive to the route. And until you turn that crazy thing off, you'll keep hearing it say, drive to the route or recalculating, recalibrating. Well, think of our values as what recalibrates and recalculates and keeps us moving in the right direction. We've got to have them. They are significant. And there's six of them that in our prayer guide, that if you have a hard copy of this, we're asking you this week to join us in praying into the first three. If you don't have this guide, you can go to our Facebook page, Grace Crossing Church, on Facebook, and you can download or get a copy of that right there on Facebook if you'd like to see it and you'd like to pray along with us. But here are the six, and we're only going to talk about the first three this morning. Biblical worldview, humble dependence, spiritual maturity, emotionally healthy relationships, oneness in Christ, and enthusiastic involvement. Let's talk about our first. Biblical worldview. This is number one for a reason. We put this right at the top because it is out of this value that everything else flows. If we get this one wrong, and we ignore this one, and we miss this one, everything else, all of the other pieces begin to fall apart. We'll never completely fulfill the others if we don't have an accurate biblical worldview. So we were traveling at some point, I don't remember, but we didn't have binoculars, and We bought this little pair of binoculars. They were pretty cheap, and when you look at them, you can tell they're pretty cheap. You all look pretty much the same. You might be a little magnified, but these don't do very much. I've tried to look at animals in a field with these. Good luck. I mean, you just really can't zero in. But if you have a better pair of more high-powered binoculars, and you look through them, well, everything becomes much clearer and much larger. Your heads are enormous this morning, by the way. You know, I never knew how good-looking this congregation was. You're a great-looking bunch. Reality is this. Worldview, biblical worldview, is the lenses through which you view everything in life. And listen to what I'm about to say. Every person has a worldview, and every person's worldview begins with God. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Because here's the reality. Those who believe in the existence of God as defined by Scripture and also those who believe that God is a figment of the imagination of religious people both have a worldview. Both worldviews either include God or exclude God, but don't look now. Every worldview begins and ends with God. 
And so it's really, really important that we think about this this morning. Because I think many well-meaning Christians have a worldview of God and their worldview that influences them is a God who doesn't even exist. It is an image of God that they look at, that they think about, that isn't even there. Let, Let me just reference four of what I believe are the most prominent views of a God who doesn't exist that I hear people talk about or I hear people sometimes even pray to. Here's the first one. We'll call this one the ATM God. How many of you here, like my wife, are still cash carriers? You like to always have cash on you. Can I, can I see your hands? How many of you are like me? If we had a cash to society, you'd be absolutely thrilled. Like, if you never had to carry cash again. Well, we were in the mall this past week, and uh, we went to check out at, at a store, and at that particular location, their credit card machine was down, and they said, we, we can only take cash. We didn't have cash on us. And so my wife made a run to the food court. And she went to the ATM machine there, and she got out what she needed, brought it back to the store, and we checked out. They charged us $3.50 to use the ATM. That's highway robbery, right? Here's the reality. We don't even think about ATMs until we need them. And then when you need them, you put in your prayer pin, and out pops and dispenses whatever it is you need. You know, some people view God like that, that God is simply an ATM that when you put in your prayer pin, God will give you whatever it is you ask for. The second God that some people have in their worldview is what what we might call the you're in good hands God. This is the insurance policy God. So two years ago, I changed our insurance, all of our coverages, to Allstate Insurance. And I only did it because I love their commercials. Because if you are a 24 fan here, you know that David Palmer is the only true president of the United States of America. And when he is the spokesperson for Allstate, I I gotta go with that. And so I went to the good hands people. Been thrilled with them ever since. Now here's the reality. There are some people whose view of God is that God is all about accident forgiveness. When you get yourself into trouble, and you commit a boo-boo, that God is the one you run to. In my construct of faith growing up in a Catholic culture, I learned that, that confession was all about becoming a good boy again. That when I become a bad boy, I can become a good boy. Now listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with confession. In fact, the Protestant church has probably swung the pendulum so far the other direction that we forgot the value of confession. We need it. It's healthy. But God is more than accident forgiveness. Another view that I think some people have is what we'll call the life of the party Jesus. He is so cool and so cool to be around that he is just the guy you want to hang out with, right? He is the life of every single party. There are people who, when they think about God, this is all they can think about, the cool guy, the guy who's looking at you, giving you a thumbs up. That's the God that's in their mental construct. And then finally, there's the superhero God, the God who will come to your rescue in a single bound, leap over tall buildings, grab you on your way when you're coming from the 14th floor. He's going to swoop you up and he's going to keep you and make sure that he provides every single miracle you need at every single moment. He's going to rescue you. This is the God of victory and we don't 
have a God who helps us live through our trials and our pains with grace. Now, now here's the reality. When you go to Scripture, the Scripture paints a very different picture of God. In fact, for people who experience God in the Bible, there are none of these images of God that we find in the Bible. It's really remarkable how the Jewish prophet Isaiah experienced God when he had an image and a worldview of who God was. Let's read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it is over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it, and he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. The late author and pastor, A.W. Tozer, said this. He said, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I believe that to be true. What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so the most important question I can pose to you today, the most important question I can ask you to ponder prayerfully this week is this. What image is etched in your cerebral cortex when you think about God? What is it that comes to your mind when you envision who God is? I want you to notice how Isaiah saw him. He saw him high and lifted up above all the troubles and the turmoils and the pains and the difficulties of this world. He saw him above the death of someone that he valued very much in his life. He saw him more significant than every earthly influence. He saw his glory filling the earth. He saw him completely holy and perfect. That was how Isaiah experienced God when he saw him. And here's the deal when it comes to biblical worldview. Biblical worldview is not just about how you see God. It's also about how you see yourself. And until we get an accurate view of who God is, we cannot have an accurate view of ourselves. It is only when we really understand who God is that we can really see ourselves correctly. So if it's true and I think it is, that what comes to, the, to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, then the second most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about yourself. How do you see yourself? 
Well, it stands in really stark contrast to what we often see as people present themselves today. But here's how Isaiah saw himself. He said, I am ruined, for I am a sinful person. Brothers and sisters, this is where a relationship with God begins. It begins with the acknowledgement that we are sinners. When we come to God, we bring nothing to the table. We bring nothing. You say, but what about all the good things I've done? They're nothing. What, what, about, what about all the things that I've, that I've tried to do to, to advance goodness in this world? What about my attributes? What about, what about my bank accounts? Can I bring any of that to the table when I come to God? No, the only way we can come to God is fully appraised that we are nothing without him. We are broken. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not advocating that we think of ourselves as a bunch of losers. What I am advocating is that we see ourselves as winners through the love and the grace of Jesus Christ alone. That that's where it all begins. Paul the Apostle actually is, is probably the I think arguably the 12th apostle who replaces Judas. He's the guy who single-handedly takes the gospel beyond the Jewish people to non-Jewish people. He is credited with writing, and penning, 13 books of the New Testament. And yet when he appraises his life, here's what he says. I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the worst sinner of all. I mean, why would he do that? It's because he understood himself in light of who God was. He was able to appraise himself correctly. Which brings us to a real third thing that's important in our biblical worldview. It is only when we see God accurately, and it's only when we see ourselves accurately, then and only then can we see the world accurately. When we talk about biblical worldview, it begins with God, it moves to us, and then it moves to every other person who surrounds us. How did Isaiah see them? He said, I live among a people with filthy lips. Now, many of you were tuned in to our political season the last 20 months. And even this last week with the inauguration, just reading some posts on Facebook, I think we could all agree with Isaiah, we live in a generation of people with filthy lips. You know, that we say things at times that we really don't even understand the impact of our words, how profoundly painful they are to other people. We're not using our words for for good and for redemption. We're using them for, for, for divisiveness. We're using them to hurt others. And when we talk about a biblical worldview, it is about looking at every other person around us the way God looks at them. And the way God sees them is that every person is broken and every person needs to have a Savior brought to them. I love the way Isaiah responds to God. When God says, listen, who can I send as a messenger for me? Who will go for us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And Isaiah doesn't even hesitate. He says, here am I. My hand is raised. I'll go. Send me. Listen, our response to God is largely determined by our view of God. 
Our response to God is largely shaped and determined by our view of God. You say, what does that look like? Well, think of the first time you felt God asking you or learning about something God asked you to do, and you didn't want to surrender to him. What is it about that conflict we feel? It's all about how we see him. It's all about how we see ourselves. And it's all about how we see our level of surrender. And so I think when we don't see God correctly, we don't see ourselves correctly, we will not surrender to God the way that he wants us to, which brings us to our second big value we're asking you to pray into with us this month. And we're going to be briefer on this one because I think it makes sense to all of us. It's just simply humble dependence. Last year, this was not in our values. But as we as leadership began to pray, we recognized it was a missing piece. And that if we were going to accomplish the things that God was asking us to, we needed to have a humble dependence on God. This involves our level of surrender to His Lordship and His leadership. So I think it's remarkable that when the disciples, and it only happens one time in the Gospels, when the disciples come to Jesus, they simply said to Him, one time, teach us. And what did they want to learn? Teach us to pray. Jesus does not go into a three-point sermon about how you pray. He just begins to pray. He said, this is how you do it. And he models it for him. Can I tell you what I think the greatest way is to learn humble dependence? It's to lean into it. It's just to do it. And so the first of February, like we do every month, we're going to have a one prayer. And, And that one prayer is going to take place right here in our auditorium, from 7 to 8 o'clock in the evening. And our elder team really felt as we were in conversation recently about this one prayer coming up on the heels of our series that we really want to make this personal, very, very, very personal. We want to ask you to write down your prayer needs, to bring your prayer needs, the things that you are believing God for, and we want to partner with you and believe God with you. We want to pray together. And we want to come alongside you and ask God to do as you're humbly depending on Him exactly what he wants to do in your life. And so we just want to invite you to join us. In fact, here's what I want to invite you to do, and this is going to sound really, really odd, but but I'm going to challenge you this week to pray about prayer. Pray about prayer. Say, God, where is prayer at in my life? Where is my humble dependence at? Do I have it all together? Am I trying to bring solutions to issues and problems in my own strength, or am I really surrendered to you? Am I humbly dependent upon you? Because here's what I felt last year as God was leading me and our leadership has affirmed this. I think the embers began to become white in prayer. And God was just simply saying, I want you to blow on these embers and I want you to get them burning bright hot again. Bright red. And the way we're going to get this one burning is we're going to begin to do it. We're going to pray. We're going to humbly depend. We're going to bring our hearts and our needs together to God in prayer. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, gives us a framework for what this looks like. Don't miss this first part. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Eagle with folded wings. He gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Come close to God, God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. I know that doesn't sound like the cool Jesus. But I think that's the God who wants us to come in brokenness and acknowledging, like we did at the beginning of this service through song, God, we are dependent completely upon you. And there's a third value I want to speak just very briefly to this morning, and then we'll, we'll pick this one up next weekend. But it's spiritual maturity. This value of spiritual maturity is a really important one. And, and it's important for this reason. The Bible says that you and I were created in the image and the likeness of God, which means this, everything about our lives is spiritual. Whether or not we acknowledge God, whether or not we give Him the credit for our lives or for what we do or what we become, because God created us in His image, everything about our lives is spiritual. And one of the things that God desires for us is that we are growing up and we are learning how to become like Jesus Christ in, in our lives. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, and I spoke like a child. But when I got older, I put childish ways behind me. I no longer reasoned, thought, or talked like that. And yet, how many people today that are biological adults still function like children? And I think what God asks of us is that we're growing and we're maturing. You see, being created in the image of God has several really important implications. We are created in the image of God as triune beings, three in one, in several different ways. You are a triune being in a biological sense. You have a body, a spirit, and a soul. You are also a triune being in a psychological sense. You have intellect, emotion, and will. But you know what? You're also a triune being in a very practical sense. In the sense that your life is comprised of really three things. Your time, your talents, and your treasures. You can take everything else about your life and you can drop it into one of those three things. Because when it comes right down to it, those are the three things God has asked us to steward here on this earth. Our time, our talents, and our treasures. And there's a verse of Scripture that I want to read to us this morning as we close that actually speaks into all three of these. Here's what it says in James, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. That was all about time, talents, abilities, and treasures. Here's the response. Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. When I came to faith in Christ, I remember older saints making that statement. I'll be there, Lord willing. I'll follow through on this, Lord willing. You'll see me in church this weekend, 
Lord willing. And I used to think, listen, God is willing. And the reality is that I've gotten older, I've learned the importance of that statement. I've learned in maturity that you need to surrender and recognize that it's all about the will of God. And it says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. As our band comes, I want to go back to the previous slide, to the previous part of this verse. Because what the author does here, James, is he paints for us a tremendous picture that is a good way to close our service this morning. Here's what he says. What is your life? That's a good question. That's a really important question all of us should answer at some point. What is your life? And notice that James gives us the answer. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Being at our 11.15 a.m. service, you may not have seen this this morning, but I see it, saw it this morning driving into Grace Crossing Church. I see it many mornings driving on Beaver Valley Road. As I come and as I'm praying for our church, I'm praying for what God is doing, where God is leading us. It's not uncommon earlier in the morning to see what I saw this morning. A very gentle fog or mist that hovers ever so gracefully above the trees and above the fields. It's suspended in air. And what's so remarkable about this mist, this this fog that just comes and you see it as the sun comes up, is how quickly it dissipates. As quickly as it's there, you drive back 10 minutes later, it's gone. When you look at the years and the breadth of history, more importantly, when you look at the years of eternity that's to come, that all of us will continue to live forever, Our life here on this earth is nothing more than just a nice, gentle mist that appears and is suspended here for just a moment in time and is gone. And the question is, what will we do with that brevity of the moments God gives us? And so I think the appropriate response today is Isaiah's response. God is looking. He's looking for a church. He's looking for people. He's looking for fully surrendered Christ followers whose hearts are set ablaze to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God that are saying, here am I. Here am I. Send me. I don't even know what I'm signing up for. All I know is I'm willing to go. I'm willing to do. I'm willing to be your representation, God, to those you put in my life. And I know that can be scary. It can be so intimidating. We don't even know what we're going to say. That's where humble dependence comes in. Isaiah saw the world around him in a different way than he'd ever seen it before. And he knew God needed an ambassador. And so God this morning is looking. And he's just simply asking us, will you surrender? Will you say, here am I, God, here am I. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net.
We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.